Chapter Four, Part One, Section Nine of The General History of the Pirates, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. The General History of the Pirates, Volume One by Charles Johnson. Chapter Four, Part One of Major Steed Bonnet and his crew. The Major was a gentleman of good reputation in the island of Barbados, was master of a plentiful fortune, and had the advantage of a liberal education. He had the least temptation of any man to follow such a course of life, from the condition of his circumstances. It was very surprising to everyone to hear of the Major's enterprise in the island where he lived, and as he was generally esteemed and honoured, before he broke out into open acts of piracy, so he was afterwards rather pitied than condemned by those that were acquainted with him, believing that this humour of going a-pirating proceeded from a disorder in his mind which had been but too visible in him some time before this wicked undertaking, and which is said to have been occasioned by some discomforts he found in a married state. Be that as it will, the Major was but ill-qualified for the business, as not understanding maritime affairs. However, he fitted out a sloop with ten guns and seventy men entirely at his own expense, and in the night-time sailed from Barbados. He called his sloop the Revenge. His first cruise was off the Capes of Virginia, where he took several ships and plundered them of their provisions, clothes, money, ammunition, etc., in particular the Anne, Captain Montgomery from Glasgow, the Turbot from Barbados, which, for country's sake, after they had taken out the principal part of the lading, the pirate crew set her on fire. The Endeavour, Captain Scott from Bristol, and the Young from Leith. From hence they went to New York, and off the east end of Long Island, took a sloop bound for the West Indies, after which they stood in and landed some men at Gardner's Island, but in a peaceable manner and bought provisions for the company's use, which they paid for, and so went off again without molestation. Some time after, which was in August 1717, Bonnet came off the bar of South Carolina and took a sloop and a brigantine bound in. The sloop belonged to Barbados, Joseph Palmer, master laden with rum, sugar, and negroes, and the brigantine came from New England, Thomas Porter, master, whom they plundered, and then dismissed but they sailed away with the sloop, and at an inlet in North Carolina careened by her, and then set her on fire. After the sloop had cleaned, they put to sea, but came to no resolution what course to take. The crew were divided in their opinions, some being for one thing and some another, so that nothing but confusion seemed to attend all their schemes. The Major was no sailor, as was said before, and therefore had been obliged to yield to many things that were imposed on him during their undertaking, for want of a competent knowledge in maritime affairs. At length, happening to fall in company with another pirate, one Edward Teach, who for his remarkable black ugly beard was more commonly called Blackbeard, this fellow was a good sailor, but a most cruel hardened villain, bold and daring to the last degree, and would not stick at the perpetrating of the most abominable wickedness imaginable, for which he was made chief of the execrable gang that it might be said that his post was not unduly filled, Blackbeard being truly the superior in roguery of all the company, as has been already related. To him Bonnet's crew joined in consortship, 
and Bonnet himself was laid aside, notwithstanding the sloop was his own. He went aboard Blackbeard's ship, not concerning himself with any of their affairs, where he continued till she was lost in Topsail Inlet, and one Richards was appointed captain in his room. The Major now saw his folly, but could not help himself, which made him melancholy. He reflected upon his past course of life, and was confounded with shame, when he thought upon what he had done. His behaviour was taken notice of by the other pirates, who liked him never the better for it, and he often declared to some of them that he would gladly leave off that way of living, being fully tired of it, but he should be ashamed to see the face of any Englishman again. Therefore, if he could get to Spain or Portugal, where he might be undiscovered, he would spend the remainder of his days in either of those countries. Otherwise, he must continue with them as long as he lived. When Blackbeard lost his ship at Topsail Inlet and surrendered to the King's proclamation, Bonnet reassumed the command of his own sloop, Revenge, goes directly away to Bath Town in North Carolina, surrenders likewise to the King's pardon, and receives a certificate. The war was now broken out between the Triple Allies and Spain, so Major Bonnet gets a clearance for his sloop at North Carolina to go to the island of St. Thomas with a design, at least it was pretended so, to get the Emperor's commission to go a privateering upon the Spaniards. When Bonnet came back to Topsail Inlet, he found that Teach and his gang were gone, and that had taken all the money, small arms and effects of value out of the great ship, and set ashore on a small sandy island above a league from the main, seventeen men, no doubt with a design they should perish, there being no inhabitant or provisions to subsist withal, nor any boat or materials to build or make any kind of launch or vessel to escape from that desolate place. They remained there two nights and one day without subsistence, or the least prospect of any, expecting nothing else but a lingering death, when to their inexpressible comfort they saw redemption at hand, for Major Bonnet happening to get intelligence of their being there, by two of the pirates who had escaped Teach's cruelty, and had got to a poor little village at the upper end of the harbour, sent his boat to make discovery of the truth of the matter, which the poor wretches seeing made a signal to them, and they were all brought on board Bonnet's sloop. Major Bonnet told all his company that he would take a commission to go against the Spaniards, and to that end was going to St. Thomas, therefore if they would go with him, they should be welcome. Whereupon they all consented, but as the sloop was preparing to sail, a bomb-boat that brought apples and cider to sell to the sloop's men, informed them that Captain Teach lay at Ocracoke Inlet with only eighteen or twenty hands. Bonnet, who bore him a mortal hatred for some insults offered him, went immediately in pursuit of Blackbeard, but it happened too late, for he missed of him there, and after four days' cruise hearing no further news of him, they steered their course towards Virginia. In the month of July these adventurers came off the Capes, and meeting with a pink with a stock of provisions on board, which they happened to be in want of, they took out of her ten or twelve barrels of pork and about four hundred weight of bread, but because they would not have this set down to the account of piracy, they gave them eight or ten casks of rice and an old cable in lieu thereof. Two days afterwards they chased a sloop of sixty ton and took her two leagues off of Cape Henry. They were so happy here as to get a supply of liquor to their victuals, for they brought from her two hogsheads of rum and as many of molasses, which, it seems, they had need of, though they had not ready money to purchase them. What security they intended to give I can't tell, 
but Bonnet sent eight men to take care of the prize sloop, who, perhaps not caring to make use of those accustomed freedoms, took the first opportunity to go off with her, and Bonnet, who was pleased to have himself called Captain Thomas, saw them no more. After this the Major threw off all restraint, and though he had just before received His Majesty's mercy, in the name of Steed Bonnet he relapsed in good earnest into his old vocation, by the name of Captain Thomas, and recommenced a downright pirate by taking and plundering all the vessels he met with. He took off Cape Henry, two ships from Virginia, bound to Glasgow, out of which they had very little besides an hundred weight of tobacco. The next day they took a small sloop bound from Virginia to Bermudas, which supplied them with twenty barrels of pork, some bacon, and they gave her in return two barrels of rice and a hogshead of molasses. Out of this sloop two men entered voluntarily. The next they took was another Virginiaman bound to Glasgow, out of which they had nothing of value save only a few combs, pins, and needles, and gave her instead thereof a barrel of pork and two barrels of bread. From Virginia they sailed to Philadelphia, and in the latitude of 38 North they took a schooner coming from North Carolina, bound to Boston. They had out of her only two dozen of calf skins to make covers for guns, and two of their hands, and detained her some days. All this was but small game, and seemed as if they designed only to make provision for their sloop against they arrived at St. Thomas's, for they hitherto had dealt favorably with all that were so unhappy as to fall into their hands. But those that came after fared not so well, for in the latitude of thirty-two, off of Delaware River near Philadelphia, they took two snows bound to Bristol, out of whom they got some money, besides goods, perhaps to the value of one hundred fifty pounds. At the same time they took a sloop of sixty tons bound from Philadelphia to Barbados, which after taking some goods out they dismissed along with the snows. The twenty-ninth day of July Captain Thomas took a sloop of fifty tons, six or seven leagues off Delaware Bay, bound from Philadelphia to Barbados, Thomas Reed, master, loaden with provisions which they kept, and put four or five of their hands on board her. The last day of July they took another sloop of sixty tons commanded by Peter Mainwaring, bound from Antigua to Philadelphia, which they likewise kept with all the cargo, consisting chiefly of rum, molasses, sugar, cotton, indigo, and about twenty-five pound in money, valued in all to five hundred pounds. The last day of July our rovers with the vessels last taken left Delaware Bay, and sailed to Cape Fear River, where they stayed too long for their safety. For the pirate sloop, which they now new-named the Royal James, proved very leaky, so that they were obliged to remain here almost two months to refit and repair their vessel. They took in this river a small shallop, which they ripped up to mend the sloop, and retarded the further prosecution of their voyage, as before mentioned, till the news came to Carolina, of a pirate sloop's being there to careen with her prizes. Upon this information the Council of South Carolina was alarmed, and apprehended they should receive another visit from them speedily to prevent which Colonel William Reet, of the same province, waited on the governor and generously offered himself to go with two sloops to attack this pirate, which the governor readily accepted, and accordingly gave the colonel a commission and full power to fit such vessels as he thought proper to the design. In a few days two sloops were equipped and manned, the Henry with eight guns and seventy men, commanded by Captain John Masters, and the Sea-Nymph, with eight guns and sixty men, commanded by Captain Ferrer Hall, 
both under the entire direction and command of the aforesaid Colonel Rett, who on the 14th of September went on board the Henry, and with the other sloops sailed from Charlestown to Swillivant's Island, to put themselves in order for the cruise. And just then arrived a small ship from Antigua, one cockmaster, with an account that in sight of the bar he was taken and plundered by one Charles Vane, a pirate, in a brigantine of twelve guns and ninety men, and who had also taken two other vessels bound in there, one a small sloop, Captain Dill, master from Barbados, the other a brigantine, Captain Thompson, master from Guinea, with ninety-odd negroes, which they took out of the vessel and put on board another sloop, then under the command of one Yeats, his consort with twenty-five men. This proved fortunate to the owners of the Guinea men, for Yeas, having often attempted to quit this course of life, took an opportunity in the night to leave Vane and to run into North Adisto River, to the southward of Charlestown, and surrendered to His Majesty's pardon. The owners got their negroes, and Yates and his men had certificates given them from the government. Vane cruised some time off the bar in hopes of catching Yates, and unfortunately for them took two ships coming out, bound to London, and while the prisoners were aboard, some of the pirates gave out that they designed to go into one of the rivers to the southward. Colonel Rett, upon hearing this, sailed over the bar the 15th of September, with the two sloops before mentioned, and having the wind northerly went after the pirate Vane, and scoured the rivers and inlets to the southward, but not meeting with him, tacked and stood for Cape Fear River, in prosecution of his first design. On the twenty-sixth following, in the evening, the colonel with his small squadron entered the river, and saw over a point of land three sloops at an anchor, which were Major Bonnet and his prizes. But it happened that in going up the river the pilot run the colonel's sloops aground, and it was dark before they were on float, which hindered their getting up that night. The pirates soon discovered the sloops, but not knowing who they were, or upon what design they came into that river, they manned three canoes and sent them down to take them. But they quickly found their mistake and returned to the sloop with the unwelcome news. Major Bonnet made preparations that night for engaging, and took all the men out of the prizes. He showed Captain Manwaring, one of his prisoners, a letter he had just wrote, which he declared he would send to the governor of Carolina. The letter was to this effect, viz., that if the sloops which then appeared were sent out against him by the said governor, and he should get clear off, that he would burn and destroy all ships or vessels going in or out of South Carolina. The next morning they got under sail and came down the river, designing only a running fight. Colonel Rett's sloops got likewise under sail, and stood for him, getting upon each quarter of the pirate, with intent to board him, which he, perceiving, edged in toward the shore, and being warmly engaged, their sloop ran aground. The Carolina sloops, being in the same shoal water, were in the same circumstances. The Henry, in which Colonel Rett was, grounded within pistol-shot of the pirate, and on his bow the other sloop grounded right ahead of him, and almost out of gunshot, which made her of little service to the Colonel while they lay aground. At this time the pirate had a considerable advantage, for their sloop, after she was aground, listed from Colonel Wright's by which means they were all covered, and the Colonel's sloop listed the same way his men were much exposed, notwithstanding which they kept a brisk fire the whole time they lay thus aground, which was near five hours. The pirates made a whiff in their bloody flag, and beckoned several times with their hats in derision to the Colonel's men, 
to come on board, which they answered with cheerful huzzas, and said that they would speak with them by and by, which accordingly happened, for the colonel's sloop being first afloat, he got into deeper water, and after mending the sloop's rigging, which was much shattered in the engagement, they stood for the pirate to give the finishing stroke, and designed to go directly on board him, which he prevented by sending a flag of truce, and after some time capitulating. They surrendered themselves prisoners. The colonel took possession of the sloop, and was extremely pleased to find that Captain Thomas, who commanded her, was the individual person of Major Steed Bonnet, who had done them the honour several times to visit their own coast of Carolina. There were killed in this action on board the Henry ten men and fourteen wounded, on board the Sea Nymph two killed and four wounded. The officers and sailors in both sloops behaved themselves with the greatest bravery, and had not the sloops so unluckily run aground, they had taken the pirate with much less loss of men. But as he designed to get by them, and so make a running fight, the Carolina sloops were obliged to keep near him, to prevent his getting away. Of the pirates there were seven killed and five wounded, two of which died soon after their wounds. Colonel Rhett weighed the 30th of September from Cape Fear River, and arrived at Charlestown the 3rd of October, to the great joy of the whole province of Carolina. Bonnet and his crew, two days after, were put ashore, and there not being a public prison, the pirates were kept at the watch-house, under a guard of militia. But Major Bonnet was committed into the custody of the marshal at his house, and in a few days after, David Harriet, the master, and Ignatius Pell, the boatswain, who were designed for evidence against the other pirates, were removed from the rest of the crew to the said marshal's house, and every night two centennials set about the said house, but whether through any corruption or want of care in guarding the prisoners I can't say. But on the 24th of October the Major and Harriet made their escape, the boatswain refusing to go along with them. This made a great noise in the province, and people were open in their resentments, often reflecting on the governor and others in the magistracy, as though they had been bribed for conniving at their escape. These invectives arose from their fears that Bonnet would be capable of raising another company, and prosecute his revenge against this country, for what he had lately, though justly, suffered. But they were in a short time made easy in these respects, for as soon as the governor had the account of Bonnet's escape, he immediately issued out a proclamation, and promised a reward of seven hundred pounds to any that would take him, and sent several boats with armed men both to the northward and southward in pursuit of him. End of chapter 4, part 1, recording by Mike Harris.